Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast, exploring life one story at a time. Hello, friends. I'm Daniel Sherl. Today on the show, she's a Coast Guard veteran who loves the sea but couldn't shake the feeling that she belonged in the skies. Over the last eight years, she's engulfed herself in the wonderful world of aviation, fulfilling her dreams of flying and sharing her passion for it in the process. Today, she's a helicopter and airplane pilot who spends her days transporting life-saving organ transplant teams around Southern California. She's also dedicated herself to a life of adventure in and out of the workplace, always seeking the next big challenge. She says, quote, my mission is to spread the message that anything you dream is possible. And I want to encourage people to go after what they want in life without letting fear get in the way. Please welcome the awesome Diane Dollar. Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Truly my pleasure. So let's jump right in. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Maryland and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Nice. What was that like growing up? Uh, it was it was good. I love the South. I miss it a lot. Uh, I miss my family a lot. Everybody's still out on the East Coast and I was the only one that managed to fly away to the West. What brought you out to California originally? Uh, originally, uh, I came out to California because I got a job as a flight instructor out of Long Beach Airport. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And what was little Diane like as a kid? Uh, little Diane. <laughs> She's a wild one. Just total daddy's little girl. You know, like I, anything he was doing, I wanted to do anything. You know, he got into kayaking down whitewater rivers and I got into that. And, you know, he uh, got into motorcycles. I got into riding dirt bikes and, you know, anything he did, I wanted to do. Always wanted to be high. I was always climbing on things. And I guess uh, that hasn't really changed much. That's really cool. Yeah. Even in my house, I'd like climb up in the doorways and people were just reading a book and people would be walking under my legs, just like, oh, there's Diane, just like <laughs> up in the doorway again or outside in a tree somewhere. But Are you an only child? I'm not. I have quite a big family, actually. I do tell. Yeah. So my family uh, was a little unique. My parents uh, adopted quite a number of kids from different parts of the world. I have a total of eight uh, adopted or fostered siblings. Wow. And then it's me and my two biological sisters. So quite a big family. That's amazing. Now, do you guys all get together for the holidays for a big family reunion kind of thing? Yep. So my mama recently changed our family holiday to uh, Passover instead of Christmas. So <laughs> I guess uh, too many competing families with, you know, people having um, significant others and having to spend time with their families. So my mom was like, nope, Passover. Everyone has to come home in April. So <laughs> and do you guys all get along pretty well? Uh, for the most part, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, all families have their things, you know. Yeah, you know, we've, we've all got our stuff. Um, I'm closer to some siblings than others. For the most part, we all get along pretty well. Yeah. Very cool. So what were you doing before you decided to become a helicopter pilot? Uh, well, when I was 17, right after high school, I joined the Coast Guard. And uh, I did that for four years, uh, worked various jobs. But my main job, I was a mechanic. I was a diesel mechanic on a 110-foot patrol boat out of Miami, Florida. I knew that college right after high school wasn't for me. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. And I knew I wanted to do something more hands-on and, and adventurous. I, I wasn't very um, studious. I, I, well, senior year of high school, I, I homeschooled myself because I hated going to school so much. <laughs> 
So I, I got my packages every week and I graduated three months earlier than the rest of my friends. And, um, oh, cool. yeah, just decided, you know what, I, I'm going to, I'm going to up and get out of here. So, uh, yeah, that's what I did. So was there anything specific that made you decide to pursue a life in the skies? Well, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with space. I wanted to be an astronaut so badly. And that was, you should have seen my room. I had, you know, space shuttles all over my, my walls and, stars and planet wallpaper on my ceilings. And I had a whole mural that was like, you were lit, sitting on the moon, looking down at the earth. No joke. I had the exact same mural on my Did wall. Did you? Oh my Huge. God. The whole wall. Yeah. I was obsessed with space. I mean, I still have like pictures you know, here and behind me. I know the people listening can't see, but I have a lot of my space pictures up here and I'm a huge, huge space oh my God. fan. So awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the obsession with just aviation space, you know, I it started pretty early, but I think it really became something I wanted to do when I was in the Coast Guard. Uh, originally, I was stationed at a, a small boat station up in Cape Disappointment, Washington, which, yep, there is a place called Cape Disappointment, Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I thought my uh, company commander was joking when he gave me those orders. He was like, you're going to Cape Disappointment. Yep. So I, I worked uh, worked there in a small boat station. We were a search and rescue station at the Columbia River Bar, which is some of the most treacherous waters in the entire world. Um, in the wintertime, we'd get up to 30, 40 foot breaking surf that we'd go out in on these rescues. And uh, a number of times we used the helicopters on scenes during search and rescue missions. And I'm down there freezing my butt off. <laughs> on a boat and I'm looking up there like why am I down here I need to be up there that's that's where I want to be and I uh, I knew I wanted to do something in the realm of of helping people and uh, you know it just so happened I wanted to be a Coast Guard helicopter pilot but he needed a college degree to become an officer in the Coast Guard and I was stationed at two of the busiest stations in the Coast Guard so I didn't really have time to get a degree while I was in then I found out that I could actually use my GI Bill to go to flight school when I got out of the service so very cool. That was a much faster track. I, you know, I, I didn't do too, too well in the military. I mean, I, I did, but I didn't. I was a little bit too much of a, I don't know, free spirit, if you will. Like I speak my mind and people in the military don't really like that. Very much, especially uh, at a lower rank that I was. So um, yeah, that that wasn't great, but um, yeah, it just was a a better path for me, and I could still accomplish what I wanted to doing on the civilian side. So that's the direction that I went. So how long was the journey from you deciding I think I want to be up there in the helicopter to doing what you're doing today? How long did that whole process take? Uh, that took about ten years. Yeah, about 10 years. How does someone become a helicopter pilot? Is, you, is it is it the same as just going to flight school as you would for a fixed wing aircraft? Yep. You just show up <laughs> as long as you got, <laughs> as long as you got the money, they're, they're willing to, to train you. How much does it cost? How much does it cost to become a, a helicopter pilot? Um, you know, that's the unfortunate part about this industry is it costs a pretty penny. I think my entire training altogether cost about $200,000. Wow. Yeah. So it's substantially more than a college education. It, you know, and I, and I got an associate's degree out of it as well. The only way that they would pay for my flight training was if it was attached to some sort of a college degree program. Uh, so I went through an online school that partnered with the flight school that I went to in Arizona and Prescott, Arizona. And I did an online school for two years where my flight credit, my flight school actually counted towards college credits, um, which went towards a associate's degree in applied science of flight. So got a lot of bang for my buck out of the GI Bill. You know, that was only two years of school. And then I used the remaining two years, um, took some classes here and there at Embry-Riddle. And uh, also it helped me get my commercial and 
uh, instrument ratings and fixed wing as well. Do you like to travel? I love to travel. Love it. Where's the first place you ever went outside the United States? Ethiopia, actually. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. Um, my dad, he's a cardiologist. And uh, growing up, he did a lot of doctors abroad work, um, mostly between El Salvador and uh, Ethiopia. Mm. On most of his trips, he would take at least one of us kids with him, one or two of us. So on, on this particular trip, I was 12. And he took my sister and I to Ethiopia for two weeks on a medical mission trip. What was it like? Um, I think it was the single-handed most influential experience of my childhood. I, I would have to say hands down. You know, I'm going to ask why. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I mean, one, it was the first time out of the country experiencing any sort of other, other culture, but it was also the most humbling experience in my childhood. And that, and that was kind of the mission that my dad had, right? You know, he wanted to take us to a, a developing country. Perspective exercise. Yeah. Yep. Yep. To kind of get perspective and humble us a little bit and, and make us see how, how fortunate we are to live the life that, that we do. And also just to, to instill a, you know, that gene in us, I guess, that, that he wanted to instill in us. And um, yeah, it, it worked. We um, stayed at a, a little town called Soto and uh, had running water every other like two or three days, mm. had to fetch water from the well, had to collect rain in buckets and shower with that. Got to experience some of the local culture as well. And how and old were you when this happened? I was 12. So how did 12-year-old Diane handle that? Did you embrace it or were you upset? And oh, no. I 100% I, I embraced it. I, I'll tell you a story. My dad likes to tell the story all the time. So uh, we were taking a nap in the middle of the day at our hotel. And I woke up and I'm like, you know what? I'm bored. I, I think I'm going to go out. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't want to be rude and wake up my dad. So I left him a note. And the note said, hi, dad. Sorry, I, I got bored. I'm wandering around. I didn't know how to spell wandering. So I, I wrote, I'm wandering around. Be back later. And I just left that on his nightstand. Oh, my God. I'd freak out if I were your dad. I left the building in a town that had massive hyena problems as well. So, um, yeah, as you can imagine, my dad woke up just in a complete, I think I took a couple couple of years off of his life with that one. <laughs> and when you, did you come back home or did he go out looking for well, you? Well, he, he came out looking for me and I was, I was helping with laundry. <laughs> Or something like with the, with the locals down down uh, in the courtyard. They just had, they had this big laundry area, I guess, uh, like a big uh, concrete structure, and everyone was just washing their clothes. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm bored, may as well help out. And uh, yeah, that's where that's where he found me. But yeah, a little mini <laughs> mini dad heart attack. So that was, that was pretty funny. So actually, I want to get a tattoo now that just says uh, I'm wandering around. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. You transport life-saving organ transplant teams. I would love to hear all about this. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a really fascinating process. To get to where I am now, you have to have a certain amount of, of experience in flight time. So yeah, I, I've spent the last seven years you know, building my flight time, working other, other various jobs. I was a flight instructor for a little bit, and then I worked tours in the Grand Canyon cool. for about two, two years. Um, worked for a private owner for a little bit, got my fixed wing ratings that year. And I was actually on my way to the airlines that year, I, I had decided to to go that direction uh, because of two accidents that occurred in two, early 2018 of, of people that I knew and companies that I worked with. So um, I kind of took a step back from helicopters for a little bit and I reassessed. You know, I, I they were pretty devastating accidents. So when you're in the industry for long enough, 
these things really are close to home. It's a, it's a small industry. And the more people you know in the industry, uh, at some point you're going to know somebody who's crashed. And uh, that's that's an unfortunate dark truth of the industry that I've chosen to be in. Now, I don't. I, I wanted to ask you real quick about the crashing. Sure. I don't know helicopter stats, but when a helicopter crashes in general, is there a chance of survival, or is it always generally fatal, like a plane crash? Um, I think it just really depends on the circumstance. There have been survivable helicopter crashes, just like there have been survivable airplane crashes. The smaller the air the aircraft the more unforgiving it is, mm. I would say. You know, with helicopters, there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of chances for, you know, if you did have have an accident um, for things to go horribly wrong. But, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and, and tell people that helicopters are unsafe by any means because they, they're not. Um, people hear about these crashes and they get spooked. Well, I mean, that's just like driving in a car. To me, it's it's just another form of transportation, honestly. Right, right. And, you know, fatal car crashes happen every single day. Yeah, it's just one of one of those just one of one of those things, you know. <laughs> For people out there now today that might want to go take a helicopter ride, I'm just curious, do you have any passenger pet peeves or thing you want things you want to pass on to the everyday folk that if they ever step into a helicopter, how they should behave? Uh yeah, I mean just listen to your pilot, pay attention to the safety briefing, um know how to get in and out of the aircraft, really pay attention to how to put your how to put your seatbelt on. That's <laughs> 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 some interesting. <laughs> And uh, and if you have any issues with females being pilots and you end up having a female pilot, don't make kitchen jokes or menstrual jokes or, you know, be gross about it. It's um, that's something that I had to deal with on a weekly basis, flying towards me at all sorts of people in the aircraft. Um, so that was definitely a big pet peeve was when, when people made a made, you know, and they're offhanded comments. A lot of the time people are just like thinking that they're being funny, but you know, in reality, it's just like, Hey man, like, come on, you can come up with something a little more original than that. I'd respect you a little bit more, but <laughs> yeah. So, you know, stuff like that would happen all the time. So if you're out there and you're going to take a helicopter ride, you end up having a female pilot, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Be, well, I mean, just be respectful, really. Just be right? respectful. You know, your life is in there. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to piss off your pilot. Yeah. First of all, why would you do that when this person has the control of the stick of the helicopter? It's like, are you kidding me? I'd always you know? joke about the red button on the, you know, on the cycle. I'm just like, you know, this is the annoying passenger ejection seat. You know, better be careful back there. As a female pilot in what has been predominantly a male field, uh, how well have you been received? And is the, is the field today just accepting and diverse? Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, I would say 90% of the time it has been, been fine. I haven't had any issues. Uh, when I first started, I was given a list of companies that I should avoid as a female pilot, mm. which I thought was, was insane that that was even a thing. And, um, so that, that kind of a thing still, still happened. One of the companies that was on that list recently, I think last year, just started hiring female pilots again. They had fired their chief pilot. And um, I heard they hired a couple of female pilots this last year. So cool. I was happy to hear that. that that's awesome. But as in regards to companies treating me different, not so much. Um, in regards to passengers receiving me as a female pilot, I've had issues like I, like I mentioned. Um, mostly when I was flying tours, just because you get such a huge amount of people coming through there. You know, I'd fly four, you know, three, four tours to the Grand Canyon a day for wow. for two years, and you get a lot of you get a lot of types and a lot of a lot of people, a lot of personalities. So um, it was something that you know we'd have to deal with sometimes. You know, some people. 
people just flat out refused to fly with a female pilot. And you know, we'd look around and be like, okay, well, if you don't want to fly with me, you can fly with her or her or her. Like, <laughs> looking around the room, we're all, all female staff that day. It's just like, okay, I guess you're not going to the Grand Canyon then. Sucks for you. That's awesome. But um, yeah. That was... Or if someone's giving you shit while you're flying, you can just tell them, well, hey, if you want to open the door and fly back on yeah, your own. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, the door's right there, man. You're like, more than welcome to get out if you'd like, you know. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, I, I had like, female pilot friends that have had to even, I had one friend, she was starting up a heli, she was starting the helicopter and the guy leaned forward and he goes, Hey, you're not on your period. Are you? Holy shit. Like as she's starting the helicopter up and I was, you know, and she was so, um, when you're in those moments, you're so taken back by how ridiculously rude people can be that you just don't know what to say. You're just like, ah, you know, and, um, in that case, like she would have had the complete right to shut the helicopter down and be like, get out. I'm not flying you, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, go, go talk sure. to some, to go talk to someone at the front desk and get your money back. Yeah. Or just come back with some really crass comment, you know, I know, but, oh my gosh, you know, I would hope that I'm witty enough that I could just come with, <laughs> come back with, with comebacks <laughs> like that. But sometimes I've seriously been stumped where, you know, on my way back, I'm just like, oh, man, I could have just said this and that, that's so you know? Yeah, yeah, and you're driving home going, fuck, you know what I could have said? I should have said that to that dude. Like, what the hell? And <laughs> and you know what? It's not even only coming from men. This is also coming from females. So this is not just a male-to-female thing. I, you know, had a passenger. She's a French lady. Um, and I introduced myself as her pilot. And she's like, you're a pilot? Oh, my gosh. And she just threw up her arms and made this huge deal in the middle of the lobby. And um, yeah, needless to say, I didn't fly her that day. But um, yeah, so, you know, it happens with females uh, as well. It's just kind of a social stigma that I think people just need to get over. I agree. And I think people need to stop referring to themselves as female pilots. You know, stop using that hashtag. It's not hashtag female pilot. It's just hashtag you're a pilot. Yeah. You know, there there shouldn't be that separation anymore. And I'm I'm guilty of it. I used to use that hashtag all the time. It's like a weird way that people have fetishized it mm. in a weird way. Like, uh, like, oh, hashtag female pilot. We need to just kind of get away from that, I think, because I, I think people need to change their mindset about it. We do the same job. You know, it's uh, it's not different. So I agree. Whether you're a female or a male, you're going through the same stuff. So so what's the Reader's Digest version of how you went from doing the tourism stuff and building up your hours to now doing this incredible thing that you do as a pilot? That was all from a friend of mine who was working at the company I'm working at now. Uh, this industry is all built off of relationships. Getting jobs is all about who you know, that handshake. Yeah. Be nice to everyone. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of strong personalities in this industry. And I think it's really important you stay humble and just you just live every day with kindness and love and people receive it well and people want to help you out in the future. So I that's something that I've really tried to try to live by. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a mean person. So, um, I try to just treat everybody with respect and um, and, it, and it's paid off in the end, you know, especially in, in an industry that's super small. So I went from almost going into the airlines. I, I had gone through a, a breakup with a, a long-term relationship and I was heading into the airlines and I just realized it wasn't the type of flying I wanted to do. Mm. I wasn't going to be helping people. I would just be like a bus driver and it didn't really sit with me. And I, I was already lined up to work for SkyWest Airlines. I had my start date and everything. And I just did a complete 180. My friend called me. He's like, Hey, we need people 
we need help. Are you, are you interested? And so I was like, Oh, actually, yeah, like I, I would be uh, something that was really enticing about it. It's a two engine, it's a twin engine helicopter. So for me, that's just added safety. Also learning something new, getting into a bigger aircraft. I'm still advancing my career. And now I can finally get into a job where I'm helping people. Well, I'm actually curious, how does the protocol for this work? Are you on call 24 seven and you just suddenly get a call? Hey, we need you. We got to get this thing to somebody. So we're, we're all on a 10 hour on call day. So I work four days a week from 4 a.m. until 2 p.m. During that time, I, I'm at work. So I zombie drive to work and you know, pop in, hey, are there any flights? No, okay, I'm going to go safety nap. <laughs> Yeah. And just go back to sleep. And if there's a call, then they just give us a call and let us know, like, hey, there's a flight. And usually it's not super immediate. We usually know at least an hour in advance if we have a flight or not. And they have to get the OR ready, the surgeons there, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So how long does it take from the moment they nudge your shoulder and go, hey, if you can wipe the drool off your pillow, you got to go get this organ to somebody. Yeah. I, <laughs> how long, how long from that moment till you're in the air? The shortest time was like, maybe like a 30, 40 minute warning, just like, hey, by the way, you got, you got a flight, you got to- No, gotta- I'm sorry. I mean, like, how long does it actually take for you physically to- get in a jumpsuit, run out to the helicopter, click all the buttons and get the bird in the air. Oh, um, I mean, if I went as fast as I could, 10 minutes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, it's at first it took a little bit longer getting used to the startup procedure of a new aircraft, a more complicated aircraft. But I started and stopped that thing so many times I could do it in my sleep now. So <laughs> it's just like, you know, you get get it going pretty fast and get all your checks done and everything usually within about six minutes on the first start of the day. As you, If you've already started it once during the day, you don't have to do as many checks the next times you start it. So the first one takes a little bit longer, but after that, it's pretty quick. Pretty, pretty, pretty quick. So you drive to Van Nuys, mm-hmm. you're there, you get a notice, you hop in the helicopter, you fly, let's say, to Cedars, and then... Now, is the organ come to Van, Van Nuys Airport and then you take the organ and the team to Cedars, let's say? So, yeah, it, dep- it depends on what kind of a trip they're doing. So if they took a jet somewhere and brought the organ back to Van Nuys, then yes, we have the team, we have the organ, we'll take them from Van Nuys Airport back to the hospital where they already have the patient on the other side prepped for surgery, ready to receive it. Wow. How long is the period of time from when the organ arrives at a hospital till they put it in somebody usually? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. They usually have the OR, I believe, prepped and ready to go. You know, obviously when the organ gets put on ice, the, the timer starts and different organs can last different amounts of time on ice. Wow. So on the, in, in pres, pre, um, preservatives. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't, you know, once I drop it off, I, I'm, I'm done. My job, my job's done. <laughs> so um, the only other time I, I actually got to see the front side of it though, um, I actually got to go into the OR and watch the procedure of them recovering the organs um, we were taking with us, which was, you know, an, an entire experience in itself. And incredible, really emotional experience. Uh, never seen anything like it. <laughs> I'm curious that in the future, let's say Star Trek technology gets invented and they can, you know, transport and beam stuff where it needs to go and suddenly they can just take an organ from an accident or wherever or someone's passed away and they can just beam it directly to the transporter at Cedar sinai that would eliminate the need for you to fly people around, of course. <laughs> uh, what would you do at that point with your helicopter career? <laughs> would you go back to Grand Canyon? I tour? guess I would um, become a, a machine transporter operator. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'd have to evolve evolved with the times, I guess. Um, which they actually um, in Maryland, I believe they already transported the first Oregon via drone. Wow, that's cool. So I might be out of a job pretty soon. <laughs> um, you're n- it's not far off, you know. It's- but you really have to hope that the Oregon drone doesn't get mixed up with the Amazon Prime delivery because that's going to be a bad day for two people. Like, yeah. what is this? We got shampoo. Supposed to be hard. <laughs> if you could close your eyes right now, Diane and describe for somebody what it feels like to fly a helicopter, what would you say? Uh, freedom. <laughs> when you get to the point where you don't have to, to think about it anymore, where you, you literally are you know, at the risk of sounding too cheesy, one with the aircraft, <laughs> um, where it's kind of an extension of yourself. It's a really, really cool feeling. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did like this little one minute tutorial that I threw on my TikTok that, you know, everyone's like, wow, it's so complicated. I'm like, man, you know, I don't even, I don't, I don't. And when I was doing the tutorial, I mean, I used to be a flight instructor, so I'm used to explaining, you know, what we're doing with the controls and everything. But once you get to a point where it's just an extension of you and it's just going where you want it to go and you're just you're flying in the air and it's just like such a surreal thing and i've been guilty of and i think every pilot has especially when you're flying tours you know over and over and over again and you're on the same route you know etc you get a little complacent and you forget that like what you're doing is so incredible like holy crap you're flying a fucking helicopter like wake (laughs) up like this is really fucking cool because you're just like oh that's my fourth one of the day i'm getting tired it's 120 degrees outside and you know i've had so many of these aha moments where i forget and then all of a sudden i remember and I look around and it's, it's just sort of like, it's like an awakening. It's like an awareness all of a sudden. Um, not that I'm sleeping while I'm flying. I just want to make that <laughs> clear, to, clear to the listeners. But, you know, in, in a way it's, you know, uh, you lose you lose the awareness of how cool what you're doing is. But just so you know, you know, you you don't own the patent on that, as my dad would have said. Uh, it's it's every industry. I mean, if, as a photographer, I could explain to people f-stop shutter speed and ISO and all the things. And but when I just have a camera in my hand, I've been doing it for 35 years, and I don't really think about it. It's all it's the same thing. It's second nature. Mm-hmm. It's just it's an extension of my eye that's in my hand. You know, and then people see images and they go, oh, my God, you know, so I I think everything people do as humans, we all get a little complacent and that's okay. It's part of the being human, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's so worth it. I mean, don't fall asleep at the stick, please. (laughs) That's what my safety naps are for. Um, uh, Yeah, so, but, you know, it makes it so worth it when you get those moments, though, you know, flying across the you know, flying across the desert and a monsoon comes by and you just get this like, you know, from a distance, this spectacular show of electric lightning, you know, happening. And then you've got a rainbow over here and you fly into the Grand Canyon and you've got, you know, there's this one really magical moment. This little girl was sitting next to me. She couldn't have been more than like six years old. And she's like, she's like, are there rainbows? And I was like, I'll find you a rainbow. And I kind of just like was thinking about just the way that the weather was at the moment. And oh man, I made just one turn and the entire cockpit just lit up with a rainbow. And she was like, uh, she found it, you know? And it was like, 
the most amazing. I was like, yeah, like patted myself on the back. I I just made this girl's year, you know, she's never going to forget that the rest of her life. Yeah. Those moments, you know, and I I was so happy that it was that we found one. What's the most incredible thing you've ever seen from a helicopter? I mean, those days have been, were, were pretty awesome when there was just a little bit of weather in the Canyon and you had, you know, there were some days where you'd see like 10 rainbows as you're flying through the Grand Canyon, which is one of the most beautiful, you know, spiritual places on the entire planet. Um, so that was just, you know, days like that were just so cool. You'd fly in there. You're just like, wow, like I got the best job in the entire world. <laughs> um, I've flown at Sedona at sunset is Been pretty, pretty magical. There are some, some incredible days flying in Sedona. Uh, the airport there is really cool. It's like up on a, it's up on a plateau, like on a mesa. Yeah. So yeah, you land on there and that's where everyone goes and sits to watch the sunset anyway. So yeah, it's just on the, the way that the sun hits the red rocks and you're just flying over them. It's just so incredible. It's amazing. In the intro, we talked about you inspiring other people. And do you feel a sense of obligation, if you will, for lack of a better word, of trying to inspire other women to chase their dreams? I, I would say the fact that I am a creative and and I enjoy creating and I, I enjoy sharing my story. I do in a in a in a way for sure because there aren't a lot of fem- of the word again female pilots. There there aren't a lot of pilots that are women. So I, I do feel like when people are young and they're they're impressionable, they do need role models in order to go into a certain industry. You know, if you grow up like I mean, I didn't see. Uh, women pilots uh, when I was younger, that wasn't something that I, that I saw that I was like, Oh, I should do that too. Um, it, you know, it came at least the, the helicopter thing came later on in life when I experienced it myself, just uh, working with them. Mm. But I do think that we can get the numbers up from 5% without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt. And I, I think it's already, it's already happening. Yeah. And you're seeing it on more and more and on, on Instagram too, uh, of other women putting themselves out there um, as advocates for for females to join this profession. So if other young women are listening right now, what would you want to say to them? If you want to go into aviation, don't let the fact that there aren't a lot of females doing it deter you. Um, there's a place for us in this industry. There's a, there's a big place for us in this industry. And don't let that fear of the fact that not a lot of people have done it get in the way. Because I think sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to be a pioneer. Mm. <laughs> and some people, pe- some people don't. I'm not, I'm not saying like I'm a pioneer, but, you know, females going into this industry, we're all kind of pioneering, you know, our, our gender going into, the, going into it. Yeah. Uh, just because the, the numbers are so low, it's still about 5% especially a helicopter and the helicopter world that are female. So I, w- I would say just get after it and don't let the naysayers deter you either. Cause I've had people in my life, you know, tell me I was, I was crazy or like, Oh, you're just, you're not going to make a lot of money at first and blah, blah, blah. It's just, just like, don't listen to them. You know, <laughs> like if it's your dream, just get after it and just stay focused. Yeah. Diane, I'm curious with the pandemic going on, obviously, has COVID-19 affected your job? So originally when they shut everything down, I believe when they stopped doing elective surgeries, the organ transplant um, stuff did slow down a lot. 
but it's, it's been picking back up again. They're kind of playing catch up now um, with some of these, with some of these surgeries. So I was going into when, when they shut everything down, all non-essential. I mean, obviously we, we are essential, uh, but my company was allowing me to go home around nine o'clock and just be on call from homes. Cause I, I live close enough where if we did get a call, I I'd be able to get in my car and there's no traffic, you know, during during the shutdown. So I was able to, to come home and be on call until, until I was off duty. That's cool. Um, so they were, they were trying to keep everybody, you know, as, as distance as possible, which, which was cool. You know, it was when they told everyone to come back to work, I'm like, but it was working so well. <laughs> <laughs> like, we just proved that we could do it from home. Why don't we just this way? <laughs> do you have to wear a mask when you're flying? You know, that's, that's kind of a big debate. As well, a lot of people have made the argument that uh, because of the you know restriction to maybe your oxygen, it's not a good idea for pilots to be wearing masks while they're flying. I mean, the 109, there's a pretty good barrier between the pilots and the passengers in the back. So I stopped recently wearing it while I was flying. If I have the barrier, if I don't have the barrier, I'll wear I'll wear one at least uh, not like an N95 one where it's going to completely seal off the air. But I'll I'll wear like a surgical mask to make sure that I'm not you know transmitting anything if I'm breathing. But you know definitely when we're handling the organs, when we're you know letting the passengers in and out of the helicopter, then we definitely are are wearing protective gear a hundred percent. George Floyd's death and the pro and all the awareness of systemic racism finally coming to the forefront of people around the world, not just in America. How did this, how did it touch you personally and in your career? Um, so pers- personally, I, you know, I, I, I 100% support people of color and the Black Lives Matter movement. I grew up with African brothers. I have two, I have two African brothers and, and one other and my mom runs a organization in Ethiopia now as well. But you know, we even had to have the talk with them as well. Of you're a black young man in America, we want you to live through you know your teenage years, and also we don't want you to get deported. So <laughs> um, it was just one of one of those things where um, I did see it growing up, where we had to be concerned for my brothers. I don't want my nephews to grow up in the type of society where they have to fear for their life. Um, because of the color of their skin. That's where a lot of my passion for it has has come from. But I think that anybody with any sense would see what happened to George Floyd and just be completely heartbroken and disgusted over it. Completely agree. So, yeah. Uh, if you were elected president of the United States tomorrow, so now you're President Dollar, which would be a pretty cool name. President let's be Dollar. Uh, what are the first three things you would do as president? Unlimited money, unlimited Ooh. permission to make whatever changes you want in the world. Or at least United States. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's that's a big question. Yeah. Universal healthcare, better schools. <laughs> that's two. Yeah. Better healthcare. Uh, undo what Trump did with birth control. <laughs> and you know, it's I'm in an industry where, yeah, I don't know. So Black Lives Matter in my industry, you know, it's really interesting. Well, I've always, you know, been very aware of the fact that there aren't a lot of black pilots in the world, at least not in America. Maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't say in the world, but in America in eight years, I think I've only met maybe three black pilots in my career. And, um, I think that, you know, that does have a lot to do with systemic racism in this country and also aviation's history of, of racism as well. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of Bessie Coleman. She was the first African-American female pilot. Cool. But she, you know, because it was illegal for her to get her pilot's license, she had to learn French. She taught herself French and moved to France just so that she could get her pilot's license. Wow. You know, that's like... See, why that. are they not making movies about stuff like that? That's an awesome story. Right, and they, they did that movie about the Tuskegee Air, Airmen, you know, and I didn't even see it, but I, I heard it wasn't the best movie either you know like they they didn't do that great of a job giving them you know what they what they really deserved the ode to them so yeah i i think the industry has a long way to go but i think it's getting better i think it's getting better but i mean as as a white person i can't really speak on the struggles of the of the black man and or woman in this industry either so how do you think we can affect positive change going forward generally in the world well i mean i i do have a strong belief in a collective consciousness and i i believe that if everybody really really made an, an effort to live every day exuding love for one another I think it would just make it would make such a huge difference and it might sound a little bit a little bit of uh, you know out there cheesy but I really do think it's true it's something that I try to live by and I I just been on a, I think that's beautiful on a, on a personal level um trying to live by that living every day with gratitude living every day with love trying to treat every encounter that I have with people with yeah with with love I, I have seen just personally in my life how it's changed my life and I think that if we as a human race did did that, <laughs> um, I think it would just make such a huge difference in the, in the world. Do you think that the human race will survive and have a bright future overall? Sure. When women are in power. <laughs> <laughs> Only when they're not on their period, right? Oh, right. Of course. You know, we're, <laughs> she that One point. day a month we go to war. Isn't that the old oh, joke, right? <laughs> What's the most important thing you'd want to say to people who listen to this podcast? If there's one thing you want to leave people with, and we're not done yet, but I just, I'm just curious. Oh my gosh, it's so much pressure on just one thing. <laughs> okay. Hmm. In regards to just literally everything in the world, what's one thing that I would want to tell the listeners? If they take only one thing away from this podcast, what would it be? Live every day with an extreme sense of gratitude. I love it. Yes. Well, Diane, beyond being awesome, which you obviously are, when you're not off saving the world, what do you do <laughs> with your spare time? So I, I spend a lot of time at the beach. I recently picked up surfing again. So that's been kind of fun getting back into. Cool. Um, I, I, I have a best friend of mine who also lives here. She's like my sister, my other half. You know, we spend a lot of time together and uh, we always go on adventures camping, hiking. Um, I like to paint. Cool. What kind of, what medium? Uh, I just acrylics. Well, I'm going to rapid fire you a couple of questions. So sure. uh, top of your head, here we go. You ready? Oh no. <laughs> what was your favorite childhood book? Pokey Puppy. What's the first book or movie that made you cry? Um, we Were Soldiers. Do you have a favorite food? Indian. Uh, what particular Indian dish, if you could only eat one? Oh my gosh, Malay kofta. If you're going to recommend a place you think everybody should visit in their lifetime outside the United States, what would it be? I want to go back to Ethiopia as as an adult, but there's so much rich human history in Ethiopia. I think it would be a really cool place for people to visit. Uh, what's your guilty TV pleasure? Guilty uh, Vampire Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for a good vampire flick. <laughs> That's hilarious. If you could sit down with anyone in human history, alive or dead, outside of your own family or Jesus, who would you choose and what would you drink? From all of human history. Yeah. Who would you want to sit with for four hours and what would you guys drink? 
Well, I know I drink bourbon. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd love to sit down with Obama for four hours. Barack or Michelle? Can I have both of them? <laughs> sure, why not? Why not? Sure. The Obamas. The Obamas, yeah. Uh, if you could continue to live a healthy life, how long would you like to live, ideally? Age-wise? Yeah. I don't know, 85. Really? That's low. Do you think so? Yeah, my dad was 83 when he died. I think he should have been around for another 20 years. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, the caveat is you're healthy. Yes. Yeah, because I started seeing, I mean, I usually, see, like, I don't know, I feel like after 85, you start seeing the decline, and I'm just like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've lived my life. If someone wants to start changing my diapers, I'm out. <laughs> you say 85, are you sticking to that? No, I mean, okay, like, happy and healthy and, and all of the above. I don't know. I'm just keep going until yeah, I'm, fuck yeah, it. Yeah, right? why not? I'd like to see yeah. what happens. <laughs> are you are you afraid of dying? I'm not afraid of the event of dying. Obviously everyone has a little bit of fear of, of pain, you know, if that if that were the case. Um I don't believe that this is it. You know, so I mean on a spiritual level, I, I don't think that, you know, you die and then nothing happens. I, I think that I will be back in the spiritual realm. But I feel like my fear of dying would be more so the fear of leaving my loved ones behind, mm. you know, and what it would do to them. So yeah. I, I would say just not the actual death part, but but who I would leave behind and how it would affect them. I think that that's where the, where my, most of my fear comes from. Do you want children? I don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know yet. Yeah, um, I'm not 100% and I'm not 100% either way. Uh, Diane, what do you think is the purpose of art? Um, an, ex an extension of the soul. Nice. I just came up with that. <laughs> That's <laughs> very good. Thank you. If I could magically transport you back in time, what would you want to tell your younger self? Uh, don't become a mechanic in the Coast Guard. Oh, man. Um, oh, yeah. I hated that job. <laughs> I'm bad at it. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I wasn't like that bad at it, but. Uh, it was one of those things where they're like, oh, there's a leak down in the bilge. You're small. Why don't you become a contortionist and go down there and, and try to find that? Um, no, okay. On a, well, on a more serious note, um, that was just the first thing that popped in my head. <laughs> that's, just, that's funny. I learned something new about myself. <laughs> I didn't have much time to think about that one. I love it. Um, so I don't know what I'd tell 10-year-old Diane. Keep dreaming big. Sometimes people don't dream big enough. I agree. You know, like, like even, even with flying, you know, I've, I've accomplished this. I'm here. I'm, I'm doing it. Um, but you know, I, I have bigger dreams also, you know, I'm, I'm going to start this. I'm going to start my, I told you about my podcast that I'm going to be starting yeah. soon. Why don't you um, tell the listeners about it right here, actually what it's going to be like, cause then I can help you plug. Oh, it. cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, the forever on the fly podcast, uh, YouTube show. Uh, basically it's going to be all things, aviation, inspiration, uh, education and, you know, adventure and fun. So we're going to be interviewing people of all sorts inside the industry and bringing a lot of color and fun and something new and fresh to an industry that can sometimes be a little bit dry and gray. You know, it's very, it's a very technical <laughs> industry. I'm not going to, not going to lie. A lot of old, old, old souls <laughs> in, in this industry, but um, so I think bringing something like fresh and exciting um, is going to do it some some good, especially during times where, you know, especially these days when a lot of pilots are furloughed. Some people aren't doing so hot in the industry. So, you know, I, I think bringing exciting guests and um, conversations that some people are uh, maybe afraid to have because they're afraid of change in the industry. 
And that, that's what I want to bring to the forefront. Well, that sounds awesome. And I sincerely can't wait to hear it. I'm going to change gears and ask you a philosophical question. If someone asked you, hey, Diane, do you believe in God? What would you say? Uh, I would I would say yes, but I think that that means different things to different people. Yes, it needs to be quantified. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think God, God as an entity is the universe. You know, I, I think God's in everything. I think it's in all of us. I think it's in... Like the force in Star Wars. Right, it is. I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a great metaphor. I mean, that's a great metaphor that Star Wars made, right? The force. The force is God. And, um, you know, in, in a sense of like personifying him, I think it's just a way that people have uh, tried to make sense of something that's n- nonsensical. Like something that we as humans are never really truly going to understand what it is. Well, speaking of spirituality, what's your what's your spirit animal (laughs) my spirit animal is a bumblebee (laughs) why is that i don't know i've always really related like i i don't know i just i've always felt really one with the bees and like they'll they'll come and they'll just like land on me and uh, i i do my best i don't i don't kill it's so funny i'll eat meat but i won't kill a bug like i'll just (laughs) put them outside (laughs) like no matter what it is Uh, maybe not cockroaches have you ever dressed up as a bumblebee for halloween i have (laughs) (laughs) One year in Vegas, I was. I was a slutty bumblebee. <laughs> oh, I was going to say you should send me a picture of that for your promotional email, but maybe not the slutty bumblebee. <laughs> no, it wasn't that slutty. I think it was just, you know, I don't know. Well, hey, the last thing we do on the podcast, as you may know, is a little game called 299 Philosophical and Life Questions with Moonbird. I've collected 299 Philosophical and Life Questions. You get to pick two numbers, and then I will read you those two questions. What are your numbers, my friend? 31. And? 15. Number 31. Have you ever lost someone close to you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you need more? Only if you want to. Um, I've, I've actually dealt with a tremendous amount of loss in my life. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Atlanta was really bad with drugs and addiction. And um, had I think my senior, uh, jun- junior, senior year, and even a couple of years after, I think that there were a total of like 10 funerals just at my high school. And, you know, wow. Yeah, so it, it was pretty bad. And um, yeah, I lost one of my best friends to suicide. And you know, that was um, that was extremely, uh, it, that was difficult. That was life-changing. Yeah, rest in peace, Matt. Um, yeah, it's, it never gets easier dealing with loss. No. Um, I, I definitely think that I've gotten better at processing it. And you just learn to live with it instead of fix you can't fix it so you just learn to live with it totally and and it's um especially being in the industry you know we just to touch on what we talked about a little er- earlier um about you know helicopter crashes and they they happen and now every every one of them feels close to home just being in the industry long enough they get smaller and smaller and smaller every year i think um something that i've learned to practice is just allowing emotions to like making space for emotion in my, in my body. Right. Like I, I think that so many of the times we deal when we deal with loss, I don't know if this is like going off in a whole nother direction that maybe you don't want to go in. <laughs> I can always cut it out. Yeah, true. <laughs> Stop it off. But I'm interested in what you have to say. Yeah. I, I, I think that in my, my younger years, before, before I got into yoga, before I got into to my spiritual work, um, I didn't know how to process emotion. And it would come out in a number of ways and specific back pain for me. Mm. And I think so many of the times we label different emotions as either good or bad. And when we have a bad emotion, our body goes into that fight or flight response. 
And usually people don't want to feel bad emotions. So we push them down, we push them down, we push them down. And, and that manifests in so many different ways. Yeah. And it's just like allowing those emotions to be there and knowing that that's what it means to be human. And it's okay to feel those, you know, it's kind of relabeling emotions, not as good or bad, but just as what they are, right? Like if you're feeling sad, it's not a bad emotion to feel sad. Just making space inside of yourself for that to exist and for you to, to go through it and to process. And I think so many of the times people push those emotions away because they're just like, oh no, we just, I need to be happy. I need to be happy. I need to be happy. And those are bad. And I don't want to feel that way because it doesn't feel good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think definitely dealing with loss um, and death, that's a practice that I've, you know, of just meditating and sitting with with those grieving emotions and going through them and allowing them to be there has really helped me process that kind of thing. But that's awesome, actually. Yeah. Well, number 15 is nowhere near as heavy. Okay. <laughs> Could you live without the internet? Yes. I mean, today in today's day and age, like yeah, with all the right technologies now. and everything and, and everything out there. Let's just say the internet collapses. They turn it off. Oh, I might get lost a lot. <laughs> <laughs> especially in LA well hey Diane you are just awesome thank you so much for being on the show I wish you the best of luck with your career please fly safely always and get out there and have a great day thanks I appreciate you thank you for having me friends and listeners please check out Diane's amazing social media stuff she's got some incredible videos online you can check her out on almost every major platform the username forever on the fly that's forever on the fly and hey while you're flying around the internet remember that Moonbird is now on Patreon and even a dollar a month really goes a long way so please support the show at patreon.com forward slash Moonbird that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Moonbird and if you'd like even more Moonbird in your life and hey who wouldn't head on over to memories of a Moonbird.com or visit me on social media at memories of a Moonbird stay safe stay safe